Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I've always been close to my grandmother, mostly because she has been a parent for me where mine failed. And I don't mean anything ill by that. It's just that past the age of four, I don't think I've ever seen my parents. My nana told me they just up and left one morning leaving her with me because they wanted to go traveling the south and help those in need. It was a nice story, sure, but why hadn't they called or even written? Never tried anything for Christmas or my birthday either. Needless to say that I was in quite a shock when I learned my grandmother died. She was my one and only family, and after Pa's death a few years ago, she and I became even closer. I visited her three times a week, spent playing card games and watching TV, and, well, I did everything I could to make sure her life was comfortable. But at some point, I even offered to pay for her to go into a retirement home where people would take care of her every day. I said it wouldn't change anything about my visits, but that way I just wanted to make sure she was taken care of and eating. She absolutely refused. She was much too proud for that, and plus, she didn't want to leave the home. Even if climbing those stairs pained her in the end. 89 years old she was, and yet, despite two bad hips and sickness after sickness, she refused to leave her home. I tried to visit more. I had a chair stair lift installed so she didn't have to ruin her body any more than she was doing, but she refused to use it. it cost me a lot of money, but... My Nana? Well, she was stubborn as a bull who saw red. She said she didn't need it, and while I wanted to believe her, I knew her body was falling apart piece by piece. You know, she used to weigh about 270 pounds. Jolly eyes, rosy cheeks and double chins, and the whole shebang. Her skin was soft and she smelled like lilacs in May, thanks to one of the several creams she used to keep herself in shape. Her hair was dyed a strange shade of red that seemed orange in the lighting, and she always painted her lips red. The home I grew up in still smelled of sweet dough whenever I visited. There was always a cake or at least some muffins on the counter whenever I was there. However, these past two years, old age caught up to her. And the last I saw of her, she was a scrawny hundred pounds lady that was losing bits of her mind a little bit more and more every day. I employed a few nurses to take care of her, obviously. I had a very good job that paid well enough that I could afford people going in and out of her home 24-7. She hated it, and one by one, the nurses quit because apparently she became snappy. Dangerous even. She stabbed one of the nurses with a pencil, and I would have taken care of her. I probably was the only person who could approach her without risk, but I didn't have that time anymore. I was 31 years old, was building a family of my own, and I was also overworked, like all specialists in my field. Then one day, 
she fell down the stairs. That's actually how she died. The news of her death felt like a ton of bricks falling on my chest. I had lost what was left of my past. I had no pillars left, no uncles, aunts, cousins. Well, that I knew of anyway. Just a man and his grandmother. And Nana had just died. How she died did not surprise me in the least. Curse her for refusing the hand that I had generously extended. Curse her for not using the damn stairlift. I knew her hips would eventually fail her, but I didn't think they would be the cause of her death. Apparently, it's that one tough nurse that found her in the morning. She was trying to get into the attic when she probably lost balance and fell back. There was a set of keys in her hand, which they'd left on the table in the hall. Her body had long given into rigor mortis when Layla found her. The following days were but a blur to me. There were the visits at the morgue, then with the notary, the arrangements for her funeral, the insurance company for the house, just so many things happened that I barely had the time to breathe. I had to take two weeks off at work just to be able to complete that, and also to go empty the house. I was obviously going to put it up for sale as I had no use for it, and honestly, I didn't feel comfortable walking in a house where someone died. Two days after her funeral, I finally went back to the house, even if I didn't want to, even if I could have had someone else take care of emptying the house, I wanted to go through her things first. I didn't want her memories to be touched by a bunch of strangers. I would keep what was relevant to me and our family and the rest I would give away in donations. So I started in the basement and went up to the ceiling. Within the first half of the day, I had emptied the basement entirely, put everything in boxes marked for donations, and there wasn't much in the basement since it was rather cramped. I don't even know how long it's been there, but from the sight of that chicken, it had to have been a few years. And quite honestly, I doubted she even went into the basement anymore since Pa's death. And then there was a closet, but it was full of Pa's old hunting outfits, boots, and an abandoned 12-gauge shotgun, and a few fishing rods. I decided to keep the fishing rods because I loved to go fishing with my Pa, and thought it would be good for me and my son, once he was older, obviously. The shotgun, though, I was probably just going to sell. So I packed the rods and shotgun in my car and moved on to the kitchen and the living room. Outside of a few pictures of the living room, everything else wasn't much personal and could easily be handled by movers who would bring those things back to the donation centers. And someone would make better use of those old couches and that old box TV than I would. The second floor was a couple of rooms and a small bathroom. And the guest room had a few pictures I wanted to keep, but the wardrobe was filled with old fancy coats she used to wear. I put a black fur coat aside for my wife, but the rest I would donate. And the same thing happened in her room. I searched through everything, but only kept that one box she had on the top shelf in her closet, which was pretty much only souvenirs from my youth. And all that was left was the attic. And I wondered what it was she was looking for up there that ended up killing her. I climbed the stairs, one hand on the rail as I looked at the door that led into the attic. Then, I looked back to where she fell. They'd done a good job cleaning up the blood and the mess. Not that she lost a lot. 
She hit her head and passed out, never to wake up, apparently. They said she didn't suffer. I'd like to believe it was true. With a heavy sigh, I pushed open the door leading to the attic and entered it. It was dark, dusty, and smelled like mothballs. I wasn't particularly fond of it, but it's exactly what you'd expect a grandmother's attic to smell like. Closer to the entrance, the boxes were filled with her and Pa's souvenirs. Hunting trophies, fishing victories on pictures, pictures of their wedding, and an old wedding dress. The further I went, the more I discovered about her. She liked the Beatles and had a lot of vinyl records of them. There's also a picture of her with the ugly one, which I can't remember the name of. I think he was the drummer. She was dressed as a waitress, so I imagined she met him while she was working and asked for a picture. It was pretty nice. I decided to keep it. And I wanted to keep as much as I could, but I knew a lot of this stuff would just end up in my own attic collecting dust. But then, I started finding strange things in the boxes. There was a box I was sure belonged to my mother. The pictures were more recent, and the woman in the pictures didn't look like my nana. Three boxes were filled with clothes, and I'm pretty sure none of these had been worn by my grandmother. I also found men's clothing, but Pa was really scrawny, and these jeans were a size 36. They definitely weren't his. Then, I found police reports by the dozen. The dates on them approximated the date my parents left. Some things about a drug ring, the murder of a guy named Charles L. Edwin. I'd never heard of him before. I became absorbed in reading the reports. And after a couple of hours of reading reports, I realized that my parents were not humanitarians. And that if they fled the country to go to South America, it wasn't because of a strong need to help their next. They were literally on the run. I swallowed that pill hard, but since I hadn't seen them in over 28 years, I couldn't really bring myself to care. My thoughts were all on Nana and how nice she had been to keep that away from me. If I had a good life today, it was because she took care of me. I probably wouldn't have a really nice life and a great job if my parents had taken me with them on their escape. It was a good thing that despite their criminal minds, they had enough judgment not to bring a child into that mess. But, as I kept finding boxes and boxes, I realized there was more to the story. I kept reading reports about how they had been sighted in the area in the first few years. Some had even claimed they saw them in that very house, through a window in the attic. I stared up at the window, and down the rest of the attic. There were a few boxes I hadn't gotten to, but when my eyes laid upon that old cedar chest, my heart tightened. I didn't know why I felt so frightened just looking at it. For all I knew, it was a box full of my old toys, memories of my childhood and whatnot. It was a few feet in front of me, but the closer I was getting, the stronger the scent of mothballs. To keep it untouched by wood-eating bugs, my Nana probably shoved a lot in there. The scent was suffocating, even. But there was something else behind that scent. 
another one I couldn't exactly identify. My heart hammered against my ribcage as I approached the chest, my gaze locked firmly into the fake gold metal plating lining up the cedar. I passed a hand over its dusty surface and my eyes found lock. I tried to open it, but it was locked. The key couldn't be far, and then I remembered. The set of keys on the table in the hall. Same set of keys she had died with. There was something in that chest that she wanted to look at before dying. Swallowing heavily, I climbed down the stairs and grabbed the keys from the small wooden table near the stairs and then climbed back up. My heart was in my throat and I'd started sweating. I was nervous, frightened, and part of me was angry, but I didn't know why just yet. The keys fit like a charm in the lock. But I didn't open it right away. I could feel myself tremble. Cold, gross beads of sweat rushed down the length of my spine. I didn't know what to expect once I lifted the lid. But once I did, I could tell you, it wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting a secret. But nothing as big and heavy as that one. I had found two skeletons covered in hundreds of mothballs. I didn't have to put two and two together to understand that I was staring at my parents. I didn't know if my pa was in on it, but my nana, my sweet nana, was the reason I grew up without parents. Below their ribcage I could see a file, and I grabbed it. I read it within a couple of minutes. It was a confession. She explained how she had poisoned them, put them to sleep and locked the both of them in the chest. They fell asleep and never woke up. Died of suffocation, she guessed. My parents were ready to flee to South America with me to avoid prison. I found three old yellowed travel tickets. Two adults and one child for Panama. And in that confession letter, my Nana explained that she did everything for me.